0: Hi, everyone. My name is Marielle, and I am the founder of Travel Experiences Reimagined, the podcast for travel enthusiasts, wanderlusts, and adventure seekers, craving to learn more about tours and excursions from all over the world through the eyes of a new tour guide or host each episode. Hi, everyone. What is your definition of small town? Tiny, small, mundane, What if I told you that visiting a small town can be exciting, engaging, and truly wonderful? On today's episode, I am delighted to have on my guest Angie, who owns her walking food tour business called Taste of Slow Walking Food Tour, based in San Luis Obispo, California, where she loves to take people to small businesses in her town to showcase what they have to offer to you, the tourist. Welcome, Angie. Did I miss anything? No, that
1: sounds beautiful. I love the small town aspect of it. It's very charming.
0: Oh, (laughs) yes. It looks like a small town, but it looks like there's a lot to offer too. So I'm really excited to get into today's episode with you. I love to start off every episode with a bit of your background. Where have you lived, other jobs that you've had, just to give the listeners a little bit more of an idea of who you are.
1: Of course. Well, I am actually from Minnesota, hyper-rural Minnesota to be exact. I grew up in a very small town of 65 people. Wow. Yeah, really tiny. I grew up on kind of like a sustainable hobby farm and grew up with horses and hunting and trapping with my dad. And it was a very unique lifestyle that I don't think I really understood how unique it was until I moved to California. So I lived in Minnesota for 33 years, actually. And I came to San Luis Obispo by way of my sister who met a man who was born and raised in San Luis Obispo and they met in Minnesota and they fell in love and they dated for many years and they decided to move to slow as we like to call it. And they invited me to come with. So I tagged along as their third wheel and that was almost a decade ago. And coming to coastal California from Minnesota is uh, pretty dreamy, honestly. Sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just talked to my dad on the phone and it's, you know, the lows in Minnesota this week have been in the negative 20s and they've been getting a f- couple feet of snow and every time I hear that I'm always just like really happy about where I live.
0: I don't blame you. I'm in the East Coast and it's pretty cold here too, so I totally get that. Yeah, it's a uh, winter winter's a thing. You know, I give props to
1: all those people who, you know, can deal with it. It's amazing. Shoveling snow and ice skating and all that fun stuff.
0: Oh, for sure. I'd love to get into other jobs that you've had then, because it sounds like in a small town, I don't want to say there wasn't a lot, but maybe it was just different. <laughs> yes. So I i
1: mean, basically my whole time in Minnesota, I worked in some aspect of food service. I have about 23 years of food service under my belt And when I say food service, I mean, you know, working in restaurants as a server, as a bartender, catering, just kind of all aspects of front of the house restaurant work. And I love food. And coming from a small place in Minnesota where... I grew up, like I said, sustainably, and my parents were really great cooks and always made the best food around, honestly. But just moving to Central California and San Luis Obispo, one of the things that's really special about it is the support of entrepreneurship as well as small mom and pop businesses. And that was kind of the catalyst that led me into the food tour business was exploring the town after I moved here and being really curious about food. And having that restaurant background and realizing the variety, you know, I had never had Indian food before (laughs) before I moved here and I had only had, you know, subpar sushi a handful of times in my life. So it's kind of crazy to me now because a lot of people think I'm a quote-unquote foodie, and I'm just like, really? I'm like, no, you know, my my blossoming didn't happen until much later in life, honestly.
0: <laughs> then there's nothing wrong with that, just a caveat on that. I was a picky eater my whole life until – about a decade ago too. And I started to try mussels and clams and oysters and lobster and all these things that people thought I was crazy for. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just being exposed to it in the right type of atmosphere. So the fact that you're in California, there's everything. And so is that kind of the catalyst to why you started your business?
1: Yes, it was. It was kind of a combination of playing tour guide to friends and family when they came to visit me but I was also inspired by perusing Craigslist one day for jobs. And I saw down the road in Santa Barbara that a gal was hiring for a food tour guide for her food tour company. And I had never heard of a food tour before. And I was very curious. So I looked up her website. I ended up on her Facebook. I look at her and she looks a lot like me. She's the same age. She you know, has a similar background. And I just thought, you know, if she could do it, I could probably do it too. And I did. (laughs) That's just kind of the story in a nutshell. I'd actually never been on a food tour in my life when I took my first food tour out. Wow! I just was very I want to say I was definitely not confident. I had to have a lot of hand-holding in the beginning. Uh, It was very overwhelming. It was very scary to, you know, do something that I had never done before and to approach people and come up with a business plan and spend all this time and energy in it. And then just the night before thinking like, oh my goodness, people are going to pay me money to hang out with me. I was just, whoa, (laughs) I couldn't believe that. But now five years later, I've went on many, many food tours all over the place and have learned a lot.
0: I love that. And first of all, thank you for sharing your vulnerability because a lot of times what listeners may not realize, if you are a tour guide, you may know this, but there's a lot of anxiety around this, right? The idea that you're going to be standing in front of people and talking to them and they're listening to you because you're a leader. So to be scared and anxious, that's very normal. And we all have to start somewhere, right, with this podcast. I've never done a podcast other than this one but it takes time to practice and learn and understand from your mistakes and grow from them and get better. So, thank you for sharing that honesty and vulnerability because I know that's much easier said than done. But now with your business, I'm really excited to pivot and get into this conversation with you. Talk to me about Taste of Slow, you know, walking food tour. Tell me about How many people, in terms of how long they are, how many stops you have, to give the listeners a little bit of an idea of what to expect going on a food tour with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So right now I offer two tours in San Luis Obispo. One is the flagship downtown tour, and the other is the uptown mojo tour. Mojo, just simply being kind of a fun name for the intersection of Monterey and Johnson. So each tour visits five unique destinations over the course of three hours, and we visit all these places on foot. It is a walking food tour. So we walk about a mile to a mile and a half over the course of that time. So it's suitable for all mobility types. I've had parents bring kids in strollers, dogs in strollers, cats in backpacks, people in wheelchairs, grandma, five-year-olds, everybody, the whole gamut.
0: I love that. I love that. And in terms of just your two tours, right, I love the names of them. What's the biggest difference in your tours? And if you're saying that they're both three hours, you take about five stops What's the biggest difference, just location and where you go? Well, so the downtown tour is
1: during the afternoon, specifically on Saturday afternoons. So, you know, it's a daytime tour, a lunch tour, if you will. One of the restaurants we go to, we actually have kind of a mini brunch at. So definitely a daytime tour. And it being the flagship tour was the first one I did and is generally the more popular tour. Then the Mojo tour happens on Friday and Saturdays early evening. It's from four to seven. And it's just a whole different part of town that to me is kind of the little bit less trafficked area of town. It's not the downtown, you know, somewhat off the beaten path. And a lot of these businesses, people who are visiting slow and just focusing on the downtown might never make it to.
0: I love that. I love hidden places and hidden gems. I think those are some of the best places to go. I'm a foodie myself, and I just love those really unique kind of special places, so that's great. I do want to talk one second about logistics. I've looked on a map where St. Louis Obispo is. It's kind of in between L.A. and San Francisco. For anybody who may not be familiar with St. Louis, San Luis uh, Obispo, apologize, Can you tell me the best way to get to that town if people are looking to come visit? Yeah,
1: so you're right. It is exactly smack dab in between San Francisco and LA. So, you know, that's actually where most of my business comes from is California, you know, in-state vacationers who are coming from the Bay, LA and the Valley, you know, a three to four hour drive to come out to the coast here. As I mentioned before, the weather out here is phenomenal. It's 75 and sunny about 300 days of the year. (laughs) sounds Um, wonderful (laughs) really idyllic so most people just drive you know from those locations however we do have a small regional airport too that goes to i believe like seven or nine different cities like las vegas dallas phoenix seattle all the places so a lot of people fly into slow too but yeah it's just a nice little beautiful drive along the 101 or highway one on the california coastline to get here
0: Yes. It looks like it's on that coastline too. So I think for anybody who I would say typically does the LA to Seattle type of coastline trip, that's probably a great place to stop and have a bite to eat and check out the town. So I love that. And I want to get back to your tours for a second. How many people do you a lot for each of your tours? Are they bigger tours, smaller tours? And I want to ask private, public, just to give the listeners an idea.
1: Yeah, kind of all of the above. So I try to limit the tours to about 12 people. I feel like that's a manageable amount of people. Sometimes I overbook them a little bit, you know, I'll get up to like 16 for maybe uh, larger groups or popular weekends, and then usually have two tour guides for that just so everybody gets that individual attention. And I do do private tours. Absolutely. I just need notice from people if you know, like maybe they have a family group or something special where they don't want to be with the public. And of course, during COVID too, I'm very aware that sometimes people don't want to intermingle with just anybody. And I do have a minimum of four people to take the tours out, which is usually met pretty easily. Sometimes I will contact people and maybe they signed up for the afternoon tour, but they're flexible to move to the evening tour so that we have a minimum group met so we can take the tours out.
0: Oh, that's great. And that's good to know you have a little bit of wiggle room and flexibility. I think people really appreciate that. And another question I have because this is a food tour and I want to be mindful of this. Do you accommodate for allergies? A lot of people are paleo, gluten, Mediterranean, pescatarian, vegan, vegetarian. Do you accommodate for any of these as long as they tell you in advance? Yeah, I do. I
1: feel like California is super hip to the dietary restriction, and so is my tour. I am fully able to accommodate vegetarians, vegans, gluten-free, and dairy-free.
0: Wow, that's everything. So for any listener listening to this— Sounds like the perfect tour, right? You can accommodate for anybody who has any type of dietary restriction. So that's wonderful.
1: There's the old peanut allergy, which I do have to put the warning of eat at your own risk. And if you're like truly celiac and like gluten can really put you in a bad way, we do put the warning of as much as the shops try to keep things separate, it is used within the shop. So eat at your own risk. So... But you will be served food that, you know, doesn't have gluten or, you know, dairy or et cetera, et cetera, purposely put in it.
0: That's understandable. And I think people will appreciate, especially listeners listening to this, that you have these caveats in there and you have these kind of forewarnings, but it's just understanding that, you know, it could, but you're as accommodating as you possibly can be. So I love that. I took a look at your website. By the way, it's a beautiful website for anybody who wants to check it out. I loved how simple it was. And you're, in your reviews, one of the things I really loved that people said was how knowledgeable you were, how you were such an expert in the area, and that you just even gave locals something new to get excited about or to learn. Where does this passion and this love kind of stem from, right? I think when you're a tour guide or anybody in hospitality for that matter— You have to have some type of passion, right? There has to be some type of fire in your belly to really love it. Otherwise, it's a very hard industry to get excited and motivated about. I'd love to know what's your fire, right? What's that passion that allows you to talk about the food on these tours and get excited about the town so people want to keep coming to you? Well,
1: that's a great question. I think that a lot of it comes from the fact that I'm just really excited about San Luis Obispo, and I love sharing it with people. And also being mindful of the fact that I am giving experiences to people. And I really try to be mindful of keeping my ears open. You know, I kind of remember the old adage, if you want to be interesting, be interested. And so you know, I always keep my ears and my eyes open for new information. I also learn a lot from people who come on the tours, you know, people who maybe are Cal Poly alumni, or, you know, just have interesting background. And they share with me, like I had a tour guest who was a Cal Poly professor a few weeks ago telling me about how Weird Al Yankovic had his first studio at Cal Poly. And that's where he started doing his funny bits. And, you know, just learning about these things from people that you wouldn't expect so yeah I just try to be aware of what's happening and it's just it's so easy to be because it's such an interesting community there's so much fun facts and interesting happenings of fate and yeah it's just really a fabulous place
0: I love that and I want to go you actually segue into this perfectly for me to ask now, I don't know a whole lot about St. Louis Obispo. It's just not something that's been on my radar, maybe for a lot of listeners, not on their radar as a town. Can you tell me a little bit about the town itself in regards to what it has, what it offers, what makes it special for people to visit and check out? Yeah,
1: so San Luis Obispo is... I mean, San Luis Obispo is a really great place. So it's just, you know, right off the coast of California. Like I said, this beautiful temperatures and San Luis Obispo, I feel kind of came on the map. I mean, from my point of view, my history, one of the things I love to tell people when they're on the tours is about the first motel ever in America. <laughs> and wow, this stems from the fact that in the 1920s, Automobile travel was becoming, you know, very much ingrained in our human culture. People were not doing horses and buggies anymore. They were buying cars, and cars meant more freedom and more travel. And thus, people wanted to go from LA to the Bay and vice versa. However, it wasn't a six hour drive like it hypothetically is now for us. It was a day drive to go from point A to point B so they would inherently stop in San Luis Obispo as their halfway point and make you know little gypsy villages as I like to reply to them you know kind of pull over and camp on the side of the road and do their thing and that was the catalyst for the first motel in America somebody saw that all those people camping and was like hey you know I wonder if I built them a room and a shower if people would pay me to spend the night in my bed <laughs> and, they, and they sure did. So, in December of 1921, the first—no, not December of 1921, 1925. Sorry about that. The first motel—it was called the Milestone Inn—opened in San Luis Obispo, and you could stay overnight for one dollar and
0: twenty-five cents. Wow, have times have changed, and so has prices. A dollar twenty-five it sounds like a steal, but back then it was obviously very expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah. San Luis Obispo is home to Cal Poly, which is a very prestigious school with a lot of really interesting programs, uh, a lot of agricultural programs uh, for farming and for viniculture, an architecture program, a computer science program. So lots of students here. And then the wine, you know, we're a major wine region in California, which is Edna Valley and Royal Grande Valley. And because of our moderate temperatures and our proximity to the ocean, we get this effect called the marine layer, which we grow some of the finest Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays in the world right here. So,
0: Wow. Okay. I wanted to ask you this. You're so good at segueing into my next questions. I love this. One of the questions I was actually going to ask you in terms of food and wine What is San Luis Obispo known for? So if it is the wines, is there a particular brand? Is it just local wines to the area? What are some of the foods and wines that San Luis Obispo is known for? Well, one of the most uh, popular foods that we're known for here is tri-tip. Have you ever heard of tri-tip before? Tri-tip. It rings a slight bell, but I don't think I know it. So for myself and the listeners, I'd love to learn more.
1: All right. So Santa Maria style tri-tip. So it is a unique way uh, that a butcher would cut a piece of the cow during the, the butchering process. And it's the bottom subprimal sirloin, which I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but it's just a little bit different way that they cut it. And the reason they do that was because, you know, back in the days of cattle ranching and whatever, it was a way that you could cheaply feed a lot of people a good cut of meat that if cooked properly was a crowd pleaser. And so it's this cut of beef that they put on what's called a Santa Maria barbecue, which is an open pit barbecue with California red oak wood and you know kind of a special seasoning blend. But it's just this barbecue and it's all the rage in California. <laughs>
0: That's so interesting. <laughs> and it's it's good, right? It's I want to say edible, but is it good? Like people order this? Most wateringly delicious. Okay. Amazing.
1: It's one of it's actually we go to a barbecue place on one of the tours and almost anybody who's a Californian by transplant or birth has eaten tri-tip and so they know about it. And you know, some of our Neighboring states like Nevada and Arizona, you know, people are familiar with the Tri Tip too. But if I go to my home state of Minnesota and say Tri Tip, everybody just looks at me very blankly. That's just not a thing. And yeah, it's phenomenal. It's so good. It's one of the most popular places on the tour. And Actually, a few weeks ago, I went to this barbecue place, shout out to Old Slow Barbecue, and I had my tour guide bag with me, and there was a family eating, and they're just like, oh, are you doing the tour? I said, yes. And they're like, we went on it a few weeks ago, and we loved it, and we drove all the way back from Visalia, California to come back again. Wow.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's dedication, and that just goes to show you know the spots, so... I love that. I think that's wonderful, which, again, segues me into, can you name me kind of the top three to five restaurants that you think people should check out when they're in St. Louis Obispo, whether it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, a cocktail, happy hour, whatever it is? Yeah. So great
1: questions. Um, I mean, of course I have my favorites and they're all probably places that we go to on my tour. One of my best favorites that I feel is definitely a low key restaurant in Slow is called Slow Provisions. And it's owned by two Southern gentlemen who really know what great food is all about. And their restaurant is kind of The centerpiece of it is their rotisserie that they got from France that actually came to them on a freight liner over the sea. And they can, you know, pack about 40 chickens in there and they do a beautiful porchetta in there as well. And they have all this just delectable roasted meat and they make soups with it and pot pies and they do like meatloaf sandwiches and they do pie day Fridays. And every Friday they have a different pie for the day. It's a beautiful restaurant and, you know, they do breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. Wow. I'm hungry. (laughs) Yeah, definitely one of my favorites on the tour. They just solidly knock it out of the park all the time. And then we visit two different chocolate shops. San Luis Obispo actually has two different and two distinct chocolate shops within it. One is called Sheila Kearns and Sheila actually makes luxury chocolates, which are just these beautiful high-end pieces of edible art, honestly. And then mama ganache, on the other hand, is like your traditional chocolate chop, but we have vegan chocolate shakes while we're there, which is pretty wild. Yum. (laughs) Sounds really good. (laughs) Yeah. And then lastly, um, a new place that joined the tour this summer is called Park 1039. It's a really interesting store. First and foremost, it's a specialty shop with lots of gifts in it, but they have a lot of um, aged meats and cheeses. They actually have a cheesemonger. She's been studying cheese for a decade. And her knowledge of cheese is outrageous. She actually does a cheese education for my food tours. And then they have sommelier on staff all the time too. So if you're going to order a cheese plate or a lunch or a dinner, uh, their sommelier can you know recommend a perfect pairing for you with it.
0: Yum. I mean, this all just sounds lovely. Are there any good breakfast places. I know you mentioned slow provision, but is there anywhere in particular to, I mean, I love breakfast. Um, I love all meals, but in terms of breakfast, is there anywhere breakfast or brunch that you recommend too?
1: Yeah, I love a good breakfast. Actually my favorite breakfast place is in Pismo beach, which is our neighbor down the road. We kind of San Luis Obispo is referred to the five cities area. So you have the beach communities that are in front of San Luis Obispo on the highway on the beach and there's this place called Beach and Biscuits, and they do homemade biscuits every morning. And you can, you know, just have like a biscuit and jam, or you can have a biscuit with chorizo and lingüisa and bacon and gravy and scrambled eggs and cheese, and you can have it be a foot high.
0: <laughs> wow, that sounds like an intense biscuit, but I bet it's delicious. It's pretty amazing. You know, you can just
1: do whatever you want with your biscuits there, they're very flexible.
0: I love that. And in terms of, I want to talk about the town itself for the second. If people are visiting, of course, doing your food tour, I would consider an activity. Are there any other activities that people can do? I'm assuming surfing because you're on right near the water. But is there anything else that you think is a really interesting activity that San Luis Obispo is known for or that people like to do or people want to do? Any festivals, activities, like anything related to an experience?
1: Oh, Mariel, there's so much. There's so much hiking is a big thing here. There's probably 250 trails locally. Wow, 250. Yep, 250. There's, um, we, what makes San Luis special, you know, and I keep mentioning the weather and the coastline. We're actually located in a bowl, a geographical bowl of sorts, which faces out to the ocean. And around us is the Nine Sisters Peaks, and they're all volcanic plugs, and they're all very hikeable and very popular to hike. Bishop's Peak is about 5,000 feet, and right by Cal Poly Campus, and several different ways to access it, but it's a fantastic hike. And then yes, all the water sports, the surfing, the kayaking, you may have seen a viral video that happened last year where the whale ate the kayak.
0: Hmm. I'll have to find that one but that sounds very
1: interesting <laughs> it was a go- I mean they didn't the, the whale didn't actually consume the kayak but there was kayakers out and the whale surfaced and the kayak was in the whale's mouth and that just happened right outside here in Avila Beach which is another one of our beach communities The sea otters around here are prolific It's a protected oceanic region around here with lots of shark activity and sea otter activity lots of deep sea fishing as I mentioned the wine regions and the wine tours But yeah, there's lots of festivals. There's like a margarita and avocado festival that happens in Morro Bay. There's actually the Slow Film Festival, which happens, the Slow Comedy Festival. We actually are world famous for our Thursday night farmer's market. It's the only farmer's market in the United States that's year round. So every Thursday we have a farmer's market. And it's not just you know, produce and food. It's also street vendors selling food that's ready to eat. It's performers. You know, you have performers that are like fire eaters or you have a guy who's a one man band with five instruments or a collective of kids playing drum beats on buckets. It's pretty amazing.
0: That's so interesting. And is every Thursday, is it all day? Is it the afternoon into early evening? How does what's the timing on that?
1: It's in the evenings. It starts, I believe it has, it has a very specific start time. And that has to do with the exchange of commerce. Like I think they like literally ring a bell or something like that. But it starts at around, I want to say like five or six in the evening and goes until about nine. And then on the first Thursday of every month, they have what's called bike night which all the people come out on their bicycles. Uh, Slow is very cycle friendly, by the way. And then all the people come out on their cycles and costumes and lights, and they ride around this downtown area on their bikes for an hour or so. And there'll sometimes be hundreds of cyclists out there. It's pretty crazy.
0: Oh, wow. That's so interesting. And would you say, again, I don't know St. Louis Obispo well, of course not as well as you, but in terms of the town itself, is it easy to get around in terms of walking? And if you wanted to go to the beach, do you need a car? I'm assuming everyone in California has a car, but is parking an issue? Just so people know and have an idea of what to expect when they get there. Yeah. The city of San Luis Obispo is
1: very walkable. Uh, it's it's totally made to be walked around and it's very cute and charming. Downtown Slow is really beautiful. The people who run the city are very deliberate about planning and zoning and what they allow and they don't allow.
0: For instance, there's no buildings over three stories. Interesting. So everything's pretty, I don't want to say small, but it's lower <laughs> to the ground. It's. I think the perfect word for it is
1: magical and cute. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love that. That's even better. I'm so used to being outside of, you know, New York City and buildings are massive. I mean, you're talking buildings with 100 floors. So the fact that there's only a cap at three floors, that's very interesting how they do that. Why why is that? They just like to keep everything magical and beautiful?
1: (laughs) Yes, no, you hit the nail on the head. They're very conscientious about the charm that the city has and they want to keep it that way. They're not, you know, San Luis Obispo, um, it's kind of a revolutionary city in a few things. Um, in 1990, San Luis Obispo was the first city to ban smoking in restaurants in America. Then in 2000, they banned smoking in the entire city. So you can't smoke in San Luis Obispo. Then they also banned drive throughs There's no drive throughs at all in San Luis Obispo. And they did that because they were like, hey, you know what? Go park, walk into a restaurant, get to know your neighbors, slow down a little bit. You know, you don't need to huff down a burger in 10 minutes. And, you know, we also banned plastic bags, we banned straws, we banned styrofoam, very conscientious city. So
0: so you would say it's very eco-friendly, right? And when I say that, of course, the plastic bags, of course, the smoking, of course, you know, I don't know, of course, of course, but in terms of drive through it really, it's a city that wants to become eco-friendly. It's a city that's sustainable. What other actions are you doing to make you know, San Luis Obispo, a sustainable city for the future? You know, slow,
1: like the farmer's markets, I said the Thursday night farmer's market in San Luis Obispo, which is like a festival, like a carnival of sorts, but there's farmer's markets and every little city around here on different days of the week too. The culture of San Luis Obispo is very much locally driven. You know, everybody eats local. There's hardly any chain, anything around here, honestly. You know, of course, you know, there's the conglomerate grocery stores and whatnot. But for the most part, everything's mom and pop. And San Luis Obispo is really conscientious of that and really tries to push that agenda, if you will. Like, there was a Chipotle downtown that didn't even make it. And, like, I tell that to people, and I'm like, listen, Chipotle can't even make it. You know, there's not even, I remember, you know, some of like the fast fashion stores like Gap came and went. And, you know, just it's very much downtown that wants local, wants, you know, your neighbor to have a business downtown.
0: I love that. So it's really like your local tailor. It's really your local boutique store, your local gift shop, your local whatever, you know, it seems to be that's the case, right? So
1: So, and they do also makers markets, which are a pop-up things that happen, but there's lots of cottage businesses around here. A lot of people who make things out of their home, jewelry, foods, pottery, knives, all sorts of interesting things. And they'll have pop-up markets at like the wineries or parking lots or venues that have space where you can go and shop all these local makers with what they're making. And it's just really cool to me to see like somebody I know who has a legit side hustle going, you know, making jewelry or you know whatever they're crafting and that that's actually a sustainable income for them to do that because how San Luis is so accommodating and understanding like hey we get it that like maybe you can't afford to rent a you know 400 square foot store downtown so you know every month you can do this pop up and there's really no cost associated with it
0: wow i think that's so great for anybody who is in your town wanting to do a side hustle and would also argue for anybody to wanting to do a side hustle. I think that's really such a great way to get locals involved and also have people not feel pressure, right? To have their own storefront that can be very costly and expensive, but they're able to generate an income just doing something that they love for fun. So that's a really, to me, an exciting way to get people involved. It sounds like San Luis Obispo is very community oriented, very eco friendly, very sustainable, very driven in all these actions where they don't actually say it. They do it, right? It's the action of that. So I love that. I think that's such a powerful message. One of the questions I always love to ask at the end of every episode is how do you want people to feel when they experience your tour, right? Whether it's a public tour, a private tour, really any tour with you, how do you want them to feel?
1: I want them to feel safe, happy, included, important, heard, and most
0: of all, satisfied, with food and good drink. I mean, who wouldn't want to feel full and happy after a food tour? (laughs) I always love to. So I think that's important. And one of the things I love that you said in the episode as well is inclusivity, And making it feel like anybody could do this tour, whether you are a child in a stroller, whether you are someone in a wheelchair. I love the fact that you make this really accessible. So I I just wanted to share that, too, for any listener listening to this feeling. Maybe they can't do it or they're nervous to do it, whatever it is. There is something for everyone in this tour, and it's inclusive to all. So I absolutely love that. And I always hate to wrap these up, but Angie, you've been wonderful. I've learned so much about St. Louis Obispo. Heck, I may even want to move there someday, but (laughs) you've sold me on the 75 degree every day I'm in. Seems like a wonderful place. Maybe hope you'll come visit one day and maybe I'll get to meet you on a food tour. I would love that. And I would love for any listener listening to this to consider going there as well as even a stop on the way, right? It's, it's kind of that perfect in-between between LA and San Francisco. So I think it's incredible. And your knowledge and wisdom of the town and the food and just so much excitement. It just sounds really exciting. I'd love for you to share all of your social media, your website, and most importantly, how can people book with you?
1: Yeah. So my Instagram and my Facebook are both just at taste of SLO one word. My website is a bit of a mouthful. It's taste of slow walking food tour.com. And then the easiest way for people to book is just simply on my website. My calendar is always on there current and live. And actually next month I'm launching a brand new tour, the San Luis Obispo public market tour. So that's going to be another one that's going to be happening that I'm really excited about
0: amazing that's really exciting and I think that sounds like a really fun tour for people to do so I'm really excited for your future that's wonderful and again thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to have you
1: yeah Mary it was so nice to talk with you I just thank you very much for the opportunity and taking the time and uh, letting me talk all about my favorite thing taste of slow
0: (laughs) I love it that's amazing thank you so much Thank you so much for tuning in to Travel Experience's Reimagined Podcast. Click the subscribe button to learn about a new tour guide or host each week, where you'll find out more about how they got started, talking in detail about their experience, and any fun facts or tips that they'd like to share. Do you have an experience that you would like others to learn about, whether it is a tour, excursion, adventure, or experience? Fill out our form online on our website at www. .travelexperiencesreimagined.com for a chance to share your story and experience so others can learn more about what you have to offer.